Here in Psalm 46, a lot of teachers believe the psalm is actually given to us after the Lord had delivered the southern kingdom of Judah from 185,000 soldiers that had surrounded the city of Jerusalem. You can read about that. I think it's uh, uh, Second Samuel or Second Kings 18 and 19. And so, uh, you guys remember the story? Imagine a city surrounded by 185,000 fierce Assyrian soldiers. You know, you're Jerusalem. You don't have any way to deliver yourself from that. And uh, and then what happened is they prayed, and then God sent one angel, and he came and he killed 185,000. Assyrian soldiers. He wiped them out. He delivered them from that. And so it's a time of victory. It's a time of going. You're wondering what's going to happen, but then ultimately there's that victory. And, and for us as Christians, that's the way it is. And we may even feel like we're surrounded our entire life. But understand that ultimately there's victory for us as Christians. And that's why the psalm, the next three psalms are actually, are considered psalms of celebration. And so uh, it's cool to know this. You know, God delivered them then, and he will always deliver us. You know, even though the enemy does everything he can to destroy us, we got to know that God will deliver us through all our tribulations. And we're going to see, even in our two psalms tonight, that there's pictures of the tribulation period and how God delivers the Jews from that as well. And so it goes back historically, and it also looks forward prophetically. And we'll talk more about it as we go. But notice we read in Psalm 46, in verse 1, is to the chief musician a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth, and then he says there in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And I, and I love this verse. Maybe for some of you here, you've heard this one. You know how uh, God, it says, himself is our refuge. God himself is our strength. He's our protection. He's our power. You know, He doesn't just protect us. He is our protection. He doesn't just give us strength. He is our strength. That's what the Bible says. See, He's a, a very present help, it says there in verse 1. And, and it's so important for us to know that part of it. Are you aware that He's there? Are, are, do you know, I mean, is that clear that He's here? You know, because sometimes we feel alone, but we're not. You know, I've told you guys before, because I know sometimes it's hard. You know, you wish, I wish. Sometimes as I'm going through the trials that I go through as a, just as a, a guy or a, or a pastor or whatever, a husband, a dad, sometimes I wish that God would just speak audibly. Just make it clear, Lord, let me hear your voice, because I'm just, I'm just struggling to discern your will sometimes. And and, you know, it's hard. And, and then the Lord says, well, Manny, there may be times where I seem silent, but I'm, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm never silent and I'm never absent. You just have to listen and know that I'm a very present help in trouble. And that's important for us to know that, right? I mean, the, the, as a result of that, verse 2 says, in, in light of that, how God himself is our, our refuge and strength, God himself is, is with us, a very present help in trouble. 
Um, therefore, we will not fear. And so the other night I was, I was talking to my wife and I was telling her about, sweetheart, what do you think is going to happen to us when we get hit with the storms of life? Because I was reading in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus gives all the, just the, the Christian manifesto. This is kind of how Christians should behave. But then at the end, remember what the, 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 the says right there? It says, you got two guys, they're both building houses, but one's building on the rock and one's building on the sand. And so um, it says, and then one day the storms hit. One day the storms hit. And one falls. And one stands. And I was telling her, sweetheart, you know what? We go through a lot as, as being involved in ministry and we go through a lot. But you know, life has a way of throw, throwing us just crazy trials. And I told her, I said, man, I, I hope and I pray that we'll be ready. That up until that day, we will have been obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be his children, you know, in love with him. And so that when it all happens, that we'll stand. Because a lot of times what happens is when those trials hit, because I've seen it as a pastor, people go the wrong way. They're no longer here in church. They're no longer here in fellowship. You know, they split, they quit. Whereas others... When the storms hit, they draw near. You know, and so for us, it's just important to know, you know, that, that when we're going through those things, even though you can't see it, don't let the enemy, you know, scare you away. Don't be afraid. He says, therefore, we will not fear. You know, there's the revelation of the truth. There's the interpretation of the truth. God is my protection. God is my strength. He's always with me. He's present even in the trouble. So I won't be afraid. There's the revelation, there's the interpretation, and then there's the application. And that's the mentality that we have to have, even though I know it's tough sometimes. You know, last night I spent some time with my daughter and my son, which meant my wife was alone at the house. And so as the night wore on, she eventually called me because she heard noises. And so she asked if she could take out the gun. And I said, sure. No, I'm joking. She didn't. She didn't ask that. Um, but, you know, I mean, she calls. She asks, you know, I hear noises. And it kind of seems like we're more easily afraid when we're alone. But the truth is, we're never alone. So we should never be afraid, so to speak. You know, I mean, it's just a beautiful truth for us. You know, the perpetual presence of God. You know, the verse that, you know, the, the Lord gave me before we started the church, before there was ever uh, a street, you know, witnessing thing in Valley, before there was ever a Bible study on Lexington, before there was ever anything, God gave me the promise to prepare me in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. And he gave it to me supernaturally. I mean, it was just amazing the way it came from all these different directions. Where the Bible says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Others will leave. Others won't be there. And that's, you know, that's a tough part of ministry. 
but he will never leave me nor forsake me. It's a promise he gave me through all the, the church things that, you know, the, the things in family, in ministry. And so we don't have to be afraid because of that promise that we have. I pray that we would know that. You know, and so someone says, yeah, he's a very present help in trouble. But Manny, I'm in double trouble. You know how sometimes just seem like uh, uh, off the chart? You know, it's like, wait a minute. I mean, this is not just your typical trouble. This is just insane. And so we read again. Notice it says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and, and, and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. So God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. And this is definitely covering our trials, you know, because we think ours are bad, and they are. And I, I sometimes I'm like, wow, Lord, this is tough. You know, our problems seem insurmountable at times. It's way too much, obviously, for you or me or us together. But we need to remember as we read, you know, throughout the scriptures, there's no, there's no mountain that God, you know, can't move and there's no flood our Father can't handle. There's no situation that He can't save us from or save us in. Even when the whole earth ends, even on that day, it's going to be okay. Why? Because the Lord of hosts is with us. The, the God of Jacob is our refuge. And we're going to talk a little bit about this, how the tribulation period, it may, may have hints of the tribulation period, because during the tribulation period, every mountain will be flattened and every island will disappear. I mean, it's a crazy time for Israel. You know, and, and our trials, they're terribly tough. But again, going back to perhaps the context of this psalm, think of Jerusalem surrounded by the Assyrians or, you know, uh, that tribulation period. Some of you guys have studied it out in Revelation chapter 6 and forward, you know, where you see there, you know, the Bible scholars call that time Jacob's trouble. I mean, it's a time of, of just complete, you know, tribulation on that day when the Antichrist, remember, persecutes the Jews. I mean, and then what happens? Jesus shows up. And you read that, right? And, and so, you know, he talks about the city of God. We know, of course, that's in reference to Jerusalem. And there, there's going to be joy. There's going to be gladness, you know. He talks about the tabernacle. That's talking about God, you know, living amongst his people, you know, and so I have a question. If you go down, look at verse 7. The, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Then look at verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. Who has made desolations in the earth? He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot 
in the fire. And so if you look at verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. I mean, that's a time where there's no more war on our planet. Think about that. Not just Jerusalem here. Yeah, there's probably the reference to Jerusalem, but we're talking about no more war and the end to the ends of the earth. That right there, there's only one answer. It's when Jesus Christ comes and rules on planet earth, right? During the millennial kingdom. You guys look forward to that day? I know I do. I think of, uh, I was reading an article. My wife even told me, I mean, just crazy things. Um, uh, a lady, the, a guy followed her home and he had a machete. Have you guys heard about that? And he attacked her and uh, twice. I mean, you, just crazy things that we see going on, you know, yesterday. And then you guys see it all the time, ministering to this guy who's homeless. I mean, it just breaks your heart. And you, what can we do, Lord? And, and I think the Lord is showing us that, that, you know, we'll do our best and we'll try to make a difference. And I pray that we, we would and hopefully we can. But ultimately, I just want Jesus to come. Because I was reading in Revelation 21 and I just, just honed in on, on those three words, no more pain. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes, man, it hurts. And I always think of the many trials that I'm going through. Imagine what other people are feeling. So this is about the Lord. There's no more war. This is about Him coming and ruling on planet Earth. But prior to that great, wonderful, thousand-year reign of Jesus, there's this crazy tribulation period, right? And, and, and what we see, again, is that you know, there's weeping in the night, but then joy comes in the morning. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. And you look again in verse 5 as the Jews are going to be attacked during the, the second half of the tribulation period, which is Jacob's trouble. It says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not move. God shall help her just at the, at the break of dawn. You know, and what we find is God is with her. God helps her. Verse 6, the nations rage, but, but Jesus utters his voice, right? And that's what will happen there. Um, halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist will persecute the Jews, but God will protect them, preparing a place for them. And in modern-day Jordan, it's Petra. It's all prophesied. And then we read that whole story in Revelation chapter 12, verse 13 through 14, that the dragon saw that he had been cast down to the earth and he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. That's in reference to Israel. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times. So that's three and half a time. That's three and a half from the presence of the serpent. That's the devil. That's the Antichrist, right? And so what we find is that the, the, the Jews are going to be tremendously persecuted. It's a hard time. It's the weeping time. It's the tribulation time. It's Jacob's trouble time. But, but God has this remnant that he will protect. That's his people. You know, not only will Jesus protect them from the Antichrist, Jesus will defeat all the nations that gather together against him and his people. You know, if it's all right, we'll open up to Revelation 19.
Revelation is the first book in the Bible. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's the last book. In Revelation 19, in verse 11, I know some of you know these things. Some of you are like, you know prophecy, you're prophecy experts, you're prophecy buffs. Some people don't, though. It's good to read. I, I, man, that's why I encourage you to read your whole Bible. Read it, read it, read it. The whole Bible. If, you, if you're not reading your whole Bible, if you don't have a hunger for the Bible, then you might even want to question whether you're saved. I mean, seriously. This, you should have a hunger for God's Word. You really should. Revelation 19, in verse 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. You read John 1, 1, right? And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us. We're going to be riding that white horse. You guys know how to do that? You should practice now. <laughs> now, out of his mouth, isn't this interesting? Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And on his, on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse, and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in the presence, his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And so I don't know if you can visualize that, you know, but you see Jesus on the horse and you see the sword coming out of his mouth. And of course, we know that that's just him not necessarily swinging his sword, but just speaking his sword. And then we read back in, in Psalm chapter 46, it says in verse 6 that he uttered his voice. That's all he has to do. That's, all he has. that's how God spoke the word. That's how God maintains everything it's by the power of his word and so the lord the jews will go through this tribulation period and god will intervene god will protect them as a matter of fact there's a passage in second thessalonians 2 verse 8 it says and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming and so, back in Psalm 46, did you notice what he's called in verse 7? The Lord of hosts. 
In the Hebrew language, it means the Lord of war. He's the captain of the army of the Lord. And so he's with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And so again, look at verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Come and see. Come and see the works of the Lord. Where do you see the works of the Lord? In the Bible. You want to show, okay, come check it out, what God's going to do. And that's what we're reading. We're reading about what the Lord is going to do, the works of the Lord. It's going to be so cool. We read it in the Bible, God judging the earth, desolations we read there in verse 8, in the earth, judging the sin that there might be peace on the earth. And that's going to happen. And what a wonderful world it will be without war. And so, you know, we read in light of all this, in light of, that's the most extreme tribulation I think you could ever think of. We go through things, but in light of that, how the Lord just, man, he wins the battle every time and he's with us. Notice what we read in verse 10. So be still. In the Hebrew language, it means chillax. No, I'm just joking, it doesn't. (laughs) Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And I think it's kind of cool how in verse 10, God speaks. You know, so you're, you know, you're hearing the, the praise and the psalm. We're talking about God. But then in verse 10, you know, I don't know if you would put it in red letters maybe, You know, then the Lord just says, well, let me just share something. Let me speak a word, you know, for me. This is what I want to say to you. Be still and know that I am God. You know, I will be exalted. You know, there's no need to strive. There's no need to worry. There's no need to panic. There's no need to fear. You know, right there in your life, and especially in your mind, know that he is God. You know, because a lot of times the battle is in our mind. Huh? I mean, we think all these crazy things that might happen. No, be still and know that he is God. That, and you know, he wins the war and that he makes all things new, that he makes it all work together for good. You know, Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, this means to take your hands off. <laughs> And relax. You know, you look at your life, and I know, I know, I know it's hard sometimes. But man, you might look at your life, and you might think it seems like the enemy is ahead right now, and he's winning. But understand, that's not how it ends. You know, we have here in verse ten, Jesus' exaltation. One day he's going to be king. You know, we have Jesus' incarnation. How he's with us. And you know, Jesus came to earth, and remember what they said, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God will always be with us. And not only God with us, but Jesus, having walked in your moccasins, he knows what you're going through. Everything that you've experienced, every temptation, every sorrow, every whatever it is that causes those tears to fall, he knows exactly how that all works. And so now even God can help us even more. So we know his exaltation, we know his incarnation, and we know his salvation. The God of Jacob is our refuge, 
Selah. And so I pray, knowing these things, knowing how it all ends, that somewhere in there would encourage you. And so we read in verse 47, again, they believe this is a celebration psalm continuing. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. Salah. And so verse 1, it talks about clapping your hands. You know, a lot of times worship leaders, they need that extra percussion, huh? It kind of keeps the beat going. You know, and they want the congregation to clap, the people to praise, and then when it comes to praise, there's, there's a time to sing, but there's also a time to shout. You know, we don't do that here as much as we probably should, you know? Shout. You know, shout it out. Lift your voice. Raise the volume. You know, and, and you're looking at this and you're wondering, well, why is he asking us to do that? And the answer is, is because when we look at this, it, we, it, the reason he wants us to raise our voice is because of our victory. That it doesn't matter how bad it gets for the Christian, and all, in all these things we are more than conquerors, we are victors. No matter how bad, how bad can it be? The, the worst thing in one sense from our perspective you know, is one day maybe you find out that Manny passed away or whatever, you know, you guys... You know, it might be your day tomorrow. We don't know. I mean, some might think, well, that's the worst thing. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. There is no way we can be defeated. I mean, it's swallowed up in victory. That's why we can clap. That's why we can shout. Because, man, we can't lose because of the lord so paul writes in first corinthians fifteen fifty seven. thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ you know and that's the key your faith in christ are you a believer you know if you're just a religious person then you don't have the promise of victory you know if you're just playing church then you you don't have that promise but if you're a believer if you're a true Christian, because of Jesus, then you have that victory, and we can praise God for that, you know? You know, it's kind of cool how it says right there, shout to God with the voice of, of triumph. I remember a long time ago when Robert Horry hit that three-pointer and the Lakers won. Man, we were just shouting, and we do that at sporting matches sometimes, don't we? You know, bottom of the ninth inning, you're down by two, and homeboy hits a home run, a two-runner, and then you know, you win and, you know, you see guys shouting like that in, in the basketball games and, you know, football games and all that kind of stuff, man. But, but why, why not about the Lord? You know, for us, and, and it's kind of cool because you don't have to wait until it's over. What he's trying to say is that you can do it now. You can shout now because the battle, the war is already won. That's what he's trying to say. It reminds me of when they went to Jericho and they got to the city and the battle plan was funny, you know, and just march around the city and then on the last day, what I want you to do is I want you to shout. 
what? Yeah, I just want you to shout. And as they shouted, do you guys remember what happened? The walls fell down. And they went in and they got the victory. What God is trying to say to us a lot of times is even in the midst of when it just looks so bleak, so dark, even in the midst of the pain, you might be there in the bottom of the dungeon, this Roman prison in Philippi. What were they doing? What, was Paul, what were Paul and Silas doing? They were praising God at midnight. I mean, how many of you here at midnight confess it? You'd be asleep. You're like, I run out of gas at 10, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, but there's, this, there's something about clapping and praising and shouting by faith that brings so much honor to God and it gives us the victory in a different sense. You know, it's that triumph. We read, shout to God with the voice of triumph. I mean, that, that voice of triumph. I mean, in one sense, it's good to try. Keep trying to do good. Keep trying to bite your tongue. Keep trying to overcome, but always remember and be encouraged by the fact that we don't just try, we triumph. Why? Because of the Lord. It says right there in verse 3, the, the Lord Most High, Jehovah Elion. It says He's awesome. He's the great King. He's the, he's the King of Kings. You know, He's going to subdue the peoples under us. Don't worry, man. God's got this. I mean, He says in, in verse 4, He will choose our inheritance for us. You know, and of course, for the Jews, it was the land. They, they, they had the promised land. But it's much more than something that we'll ever possess on this planet because you guys know that everything on this, on this side of time is going to burn. You know, so maybe part of it is the, 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 the land there of Israel, but it's much more than that. It's much more than things that are temporary. It's things that are eternal. That's our inheritance. That's what Peter said in First Peter 1 three through four, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You look at all these guys today and you think, man, the money they have, the riches they have, the clothing they have, the mansions they have. You know, and you might, you might even want what they, that they want. Don't. Do you realize what you have in heaven forever and it can't be taken away? I mean, the inheritance. Romans 8, 17 tells us that we are joint heirs with Christ. And so we know this, that the Father will give the Son everything and, and we're joint heirs with the Son. So that's our inheritance. We will inherit everything and that's why we need to say you know just you know continue to believe in jesus uh, until the day you die revelation 21 7 he who overcomes shall inherit all things and i will be his god and he shall be my son you know i, I like even the way that verse 4 says that he will choose our inheritance for us i mean isn't it cool when like the lord chooses some of us are like, no, I want to choose. I want, I want that, you know. I thank God, you know, that the Lord, when for he chooses, you know. Uh, and there's this one guy, he comes to prayer, and every once in a while, he'll bring it up, the fact that, you know, when he was younger, he wanted to marry this one girl, and, uh, and now he's so glad he didn't, you know. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it was like the Lord chose for us. I'm glad 
I'm so glad that, um, you know, what if I would have got stuck with that girl? And I think of the different girls that I was dating before Shelly. Or what if I would have, you know, become a rock star? Because I was a legitimate candidate, you know? I could have become a rock star. <laughs> I was in a band, playing in parties and clubs, and who knows, you know, getting famous and stuff. I mean, thank God that didn't happen, right? Or what if I never came to Almani? you know? I remember even when my kids were in their mother's womb, in Shelly's womb, and I, I, people would always ask me, what do you want, a boy or a girl, a boy or a girl? And I would just, with all my heart, I, I meant this. I said... I don't have a preference. I want God to choose. I want God to choose. You know, someone might have six girls or, you know, six boys, and they're like, wow, I didn't get a girl or a boy. No, you should want God to choose everything on this side of time and, of course, forever in heaven. You know, and that's what he will choose our inheritance for us. Lord, I totally trust your judgment and all that, you know, that is good reason to clap and shout. But there's an even better reason there at the end of verse 4. It says, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. You know, and I just think, wow, Lord. Um, reason, you know, to clap. Reason to shout, Lord, you love us. You know, even Jacob, and we know Jacob is another name for Israel, and that's kind of like, you know, the bipolar part, the bad part of him, the Jacob part, and God loved him, you know. It doesn't mean he necessarily should stay that way. Hopefully we change. Hopefully we grow. Hopefully we overcome. Hopefully we mature. But his love is always there, you know. John 3.16, Romans 5.8 you know, I, I do encourage you every once in a while, just camp out on that one. Just camp out on that. Lord, thank you that you love me. And just think about it for a, a, a second. And think about how messed up you are. But, you know, ah, I blew it here, I blew it there. Lord, forgive me, but thank you for loving me. And you just let it sink in for a while. And you watch how that changes you. Here's, a, here's something interesting. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, On the whole, God's love for us is a much safer subject to think about than our love for Him. So, um, you know, when you think about our love for God, hopefully it grows, but when you think about His love for us, it never fluctuates. And so I don't know about you guys, but I don't know, have you discovered the fact that it's not our, our, our love for God that comforts us? But it's his love for us that comforts us, huh? And I'm reminded of the, the, the message that Martha and Mary sent to Jesus in John eleven three. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And so Jesus went, and even though Lazarus died, God was glorified. That's the way it always works. Why? Is it because of our love for him? It's because of his love for us. And that'll never change. You're trapped in his love. And the only thing you have to do is believe until the day you die. And so we read in verse 4, he will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob whom he loves. Selah. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet 
Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. And so there in verse 5, we read, notice it says, God has gone up with a shout. And so more than likely, that's in reference again to a king rising to his throne. When we read about God going up, it has to do with God on the throne. And again, we can't help but think about that day when Jesus rules in Jerusalem for a thousand years, the millennial kingdom. And the trumpet would have to do with battle. The trumpet had also to do with the coronation ceremony. And so as a result of that, just thinking one day God's going to reign, he says, sing praises to God, sing praises to the king. But look at verse 7. For God is the king of all the earth. Look forward to that day. When Adam sinned in Genesis chapter 3, he lost the title deed to the earth. Therefore, Satan became, Jesus said it three times in the Gospel of John, the ruler of this world. That's why we see all the crazy things going on because he's still the ruler of the world. He's the God of this age. It's a small g. And so, you know, right now we don't see it yet, but one day we will see it. You read Revelation chapter 5, the Lamb has prevailed to go and get the scroll from the throne. That's a title deed to the earth. You know, and, and then he's going to sit on his throne. And so with that understanding, he says right there in verse 7, sing praises with understanding. Oh, I see. Now I, I know I, how, why to praise him. You know, you understand eschatology, you understand theology, you understand soteriology, this is a doctrine of salvation, you understand your Bible. Not only that, and here's something that I want to challenge you guys in, when you're singing those songs, when we're praising the Lord and angels up here leading us in worship, are you thinking about the words you're singing? A lot of times you guys aren't. You're thinking about round table. Or you're thinking about the person next to you. I, if I were you, I would take that and I would circle that. Sing praises with understanding. You know, because I have a feeling that a lot of times we're not. Even myself, and I'm a pastor. It doesn't mean much, but still I'm a pastor. Sometimes I have to bring my thoughts back to where they belong. No, I'm singing these lyrics to my Lord right now. So I want to encourage you guys to sing with praises with understanding. You love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind. It's not just an emotional thing. It's an intellectual thing. There is theology involved in this. And so you praise him with understanding, right? And so what we find right here in closing, he says God, in verse 8, reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. And it talks over and over again about the Lord being exalted. You know, currently what we find is God reigns invisibly. He's working all things together for good. Eventually, God will reign physically Here's the thing that I look forward to because this world is filled with so much pain. You know, not just God working all things together for good, but when all things 
will be good. That's what I look forward to. Heaven is not just a destination. It's a motivation. It's a stimulation. It's an inspiration. You know, I look forward to that day, and I know it's coming, and a shadow of a doubt, none whatsoever. I know in whom I have believed. There's not a shred of doubt. I know this to be true. And so I can praise him. Sometimes I fall and I stumble. I fall down. God meets me there. He lifts me up. Sometimes I get in trouble for doing things wrong. Sometimes for doing things right. But no matter what, I know who my God is and I know who my Savior is. What we find in the end right here, three things again, protection, salvation, and exaltation. The people of the God of Abraham. You know, the God of Abraham, what's that? The God of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of of the Jews, the God there, you know, in the Old Covenant, and God said that he would bless the world through Abraham's seed, his descendant. One day Jesus would come, the God of Abraham. That's the God that we believe in, that we serve. And when you think of the God of Abraham, some refer to Abraham as the father of the faith, which which is, I think, proper it's overwhelmingly biblical we read that uh, in romans chapter 4 and verse 3 for what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was accounted to him for righteousness and so what we're learning is is that you're saved that we're saved not because you know i can do i don't know if you guys knew this 150 push-ups now i'm just joking i can't (laughs) You know, not because, you know, I memorized 27 verses, not because I was baptized, not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm any better than anyone else, because I'm not. I know I'm saved because I believe in Jesus Christ. By faith. The God of Abraham. Abraham is the guy who teaches us that we're saved by faith. You read that in Romans 4.3, Galatians 4.3, and James 2, verse 23. And so what ends up happening as a result of all these things is uh, it says right there in verse uh, 9, the princes of the people have, have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. And all the way along this path, you guys, we're on this narrow path, and it leads to heaven. And all along the way, He is our shield of protection. Isn't that cool? God is good. I know we go through trials. I know we go through tribulation. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's a promise. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. And that's what we read about tonight.